Somebody turn to your neighbor today and say, you're in for a treat. Special guests here with us today, and we are super excited about them being here all the way from North Carolina. And in fact, if both of you can just come here, it's all right. Come on, Jen, help me out. Uh, I want you guys to just welcome Mr. Paul and Ms. Carol Kasmarsik. So, listen, a few, I don't know, maybe three, four months ago, Miss Carol and I were on the phone one day, and she was just telling me about uh, this class that she was teaching, and, uh, and I, I love her. She, and she said, honey, she's from North Carolina, Mr. Paul's from Massachusetts, so they speak a little different. We've got a New Englander in the house today. Anyway, she said, honey, you want me to come teach that for you? And uh, here's what I love. I mean, this woman's heart is amazing. And she said, look, I'll, I'll fly up, and man, just let me be a blessing to your church. And so, great heart. I will say this, though, and, and, and I'll quit embarrassing her. In our 14 years at Covenant Love, I don't think I've ever seen, because they, they are members at Covenant Love Church. We're at North Carolina. I don't think I've ever seen someone enter the church, especially a church that size, and bring such a dramatic change in it. You know, normally it's a pastor comes in, a pastor's put in place, and a pastor, just from the influence of the position, affects the church. But God has really raised this couple up and, and really the, the teaching that he's put in this lady right here to dramatically change that church, and not only just change the church, but change even half the pastoral staff, and that would be Jen and I included. So we look at these guys like family, and I would just encourage you today to open your hearts up really wide, because I believe if you grab a hold of what she's going to teach today, it'll change every part of your lives. I mean that. I don't, I don't say that often, but I think if you grab a hold of the teaching that she's going to teach today, it will change everything. So if you don't mind, welcome Miss Carol and, uh, and get hungry and thank Mr. Paul for being here. He's the man. You want to say something? Yes, I want to read from uh, Joel chapter 228 where it says, The promise of the Spirit, and it will come about after this that I will pour out my Spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. And this is where we're at today. I really believe that the Spirit of the Lord is moving on the earth, and that uh, we're seeing that, and we're part of that process. So it's what we do to make that happen. And let me, let me just pray over what Carol's going to say right now, and I'll turn the mic back over to you. Father, we just want to thank you for your presence amongst us today. Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Lord, we're just praying that uh, you you just move on our temple, Lord. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're praying, Lord, an anointing on Carol today as she delivers your message, Lord, on sonship. We thank you that sonship also means daughtership. We thank you, Lord, for this word. We pray, Lord, that it just touches the hearts and the minds of the folks here today, Lord, and that it brings a new perspective on the love that you have, Lord, for us as your sons and your daughters, Lord, and that you can use us, each one of us, mightily, and that we have the confidence because we're dealing, uh, Lord, with with a, a God that's our source, and is our developer, and is interested in every aspect of our life. Lord, we're surrendering to you as our Father and our source today. And Lord, I just thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can tell I'm one of the blessed ones. I got a prince. We've been married 41 years this year. 
Um, we honor Pastor Quentin and Jen. Um, you know, we, it, our loss was your gain. <laughs> we, we've missed them. I just want to tell you, you know, I'm a teacher by training. I have a master's degree in teaching. I taught in public school. So when I got saved at 29, and now this year I'm 64, <laughs> my orientation was, you know, I was hungry to study the Word of God for myself. I want to give you this encouragement because I'm going to share with you who gave me this impartation. It says, that this isn't on the PowerPoint, but it is in my heart to say to you, in Proverbs 25, 2, it says, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the glory of kings to search it out. Okay, so when you get saved, you know, you become a king and priest unto the Lord. And when you commit yourself to study the word of God, it will open up to you your royalty. And so as I began to study the word of God, I was hungry to, because revelation is an invitation to follow him. And it's only the things that God reveals to you, which become your inheritance. And that's what we're after. I was hungry to go deeper with the Lord. And God brought a man in my life by the name of Jack Frost. He's gone home to glory now to be with the Lord, but he has a ministry called Shiloh place ministries and he literally imparted to me what I'm going to share some of it with you today and it and that's the heart of why Paul and I came to Maine is Romans 111 for we were yearning to see you that we may impart and share with you some spiritual gift to strengthen and establish you and if you're going to be strengthened and established in the Lord somebody else is going to die to do it Strong Christians just don't happen. Christians that know their true identity in Christ and live their destiny, their determined purpose in which what God created them, somebody is dying to give you life. The paradox of the Christian life is you've got to die in order to live. So in other words, impartation is what I'm believing here for today as God opens the word of God up to us and tends to our hearts by the power of his spirit because teaching and impartation are different. Impartation is when there's an established truth in somebody else and when they share it with you, it brings a divine shift into your life. And it will bring you up higher with God. And that's what happened when I met Jack Frost. And it starts with perspective. If there's going to be a change in your life, it starts with the way you think about it. Okay? So let's start with the top three reasons why Jesus came. Matthew one twenty one. if you're taking notes, I will tell you a lot more than I can teach out today because teaching is my orientation, okay? So I'll give you an address and it'll be food for you to go home and study. That That's what made me go home and want to get nuggets because I would hear a scripture and I would say, wow, that's something I want to go study out. So... If you're here and you're walking with God, he's given everybody in this room a sphere of influence. Jack used to say this thing at at school, no sonship, no influence, and no inheritance. 
because you're going to see in the teaching today that God is looking for people who are his sons and daughters who know him as father and in their sphere of influence on the table of life can be a first fruits example where others can taste and see that God is good. Knowing God is your father and that God is good is foundational and you embrace it. You'll go as far as in your faith as you believe God is good. Y'all with me? All right, so in Matthew 121, do we have that? First reason why Jesus came for the sake of time, I might not read all these scriptures out, okay? But I want you to have the reference. I want you to see it on the PowerPoint. I'm going to go to the bottom of the scripture. The first reason why Jesus came, we got a sin problem. We are alienated with God because when we're born because of the original sin. And so Jesus came to save us from our sins. We needed a Savior, and that's the Amplified. Isn't that powerful? He came to prevent us from failing and missing the true end and scope of life, which is God. If you look, here, here's a little bunny trail I'm going to take. It's not on the PowerPoint, but in Ecclesiastes 3.11, you'll see that God's put eternity in men's hearts. Otherwise, you are born looking for home. You are born looking, where do I belong? Where do I have purpose? Where do I have unconditional love? Where do I have worth? Where do I have significance? Where do I have value? And if you don't find it in God, your Father, you will find it in the world. And you will take on a false identity and live a life that God never intended you to have. Whether you know it or not, you're looking for where you belong. Okay? So the second reason why Jesus came is First John. It's up there. Don't y'all love my southern accent? Can y'all understand me? First John 3, 8 and B. The reason the Son of God was made manifest, visible, was to undo. That means destroy, loosen, and dissolve the works the devil has done. Look. God wants to undo, outdo, and overdo everything the enemy has done in your life. Because he has a plan and God has a plan. When you become saved, there is no demilitarized zone. Either you're being walled in with the purposes and the plans of God, or you're being walled in with the purposes and plans of the enemy of your soul. And one is abundant life, and the other one is not. The enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy. If he can kill your identity, he can steal your destiny. Because the identity is the horse that pulls the cart of your destiny. That means your determined purpose in God. John 14, 6, third reason. And this is the most important. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The way has always been Jesus Christ. The door is Jesus. The gate is Jesus. There is one way. But the destination is the Father. Now, why? The why of that is huge. Because in Hebrew, Father means source. And whoever you make the source of your life, you give power to give you your identity. So if you never know God's your Father, 
then you will take on a false identity. You can be saved. You can come through the gate. You can come through the door of salvation and live like an orphan. I did it. When I went to Jack's school and he would say what an orphan looked like, I was like, that's me. I spoke last Saturday at a group and one of the pastor's wives came up to me and she said, I live like a total orphan. And you're going to see a little bit of the difference today. And I said, honey, don't worry. I did too. So now just give that up and let God give. See, you are a daughter and a son when you receive Jesus Christ. You've got it positionally like the Israelites had it. But he wants you to cross over and possess it in the reality of your everyday life. You've got an inheritance. My whole life changed when I got a hold of this. John 1, 12, that's the scripture. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. In 1 Peter 1, 23, it talks about that seed of Christ being an incorruptible seed. You become a son or a daughter, but God wants you to become it in the reality of how you live your life. And the good news of the gospel is within that seed, when you accept Christ, is now a brand new DNA, a brand new blueprint, the capacity for the unfolding of a brand new life because now you're a courier and a carrier of the DNA of heaven, which is your father, and that's what he wants you to look like. That's why the gospel is good news, regardless of what you've done, what was done to you, or anything that's happened in the past. Guess what? When you accept Christ, now you are carrying the capacity and the empowerment to become a brand new person. God came in Hebrews 2.10 to make us those sons and daughters of glory. We were talking a lot about glory in the prayer. He's looking for people. The glory's passed before him, and the goodness of God has realized in their lives, and they carry the goodness of God, and they can openly display it in their sphere of influence in life. I learned how to walk with Jesus being a mom, having problems, and needing solutions. So, in sonship, we're going to talk about what a son and what an orphan looks like. So, you can begin to see where you might be living as an orphan and you are forfeiting your inheritance and your influence. And God doesn't want that to happen. See, that's exactly how I got saved. A James 118 woman walked in my house to be the nurse to take care of my grandmother who had had a stroke. And I had already prayed, God, you know what? If you're real, I want to know about it. And he took me up on it. He didn't just send any Christian into my house. He sent a born-again, spirit-filled woman of God who preached the word of God on Sunday at her church. And see, I looked at her life. Educated woman, teaching school, had, had a child. But I looked at her life, I said, honey, something is wrong with me. And I look at you, you are a lot happier, have a lot more in life 
than I do. And what am I doing wrong? And she didn't come and try to beat me over the head with the word of God. She didn't come in and judge me. She didn't try to point out my trash. Because how many know that God speaks to the treasure, not the trash? Whatever you're speaking to is what's rising up like cream to the top. And every single person in here has a treasure within them. God put it in there. Like gold, he knows how to bring things in your life that begin to refine you and make that gold pure. I tell you, honey, God loved me enough. He sent me a living epistle of the goodness of God. Didn't preach to me, but see, she saw the condition of my life, and she stepped back for two years and prayed for me before I asked her that question. What am I doing wrong? And she said, I've been waiting two years for you to ask me. She said, you are one miserable woman. And you need Jesus Christ into your life. And I accepted Christ. And when I came home and told Paul that I accepted Jesus Christ, because I want you to see how this works. He said, good. Hope it helps you out. (laughs) Because how many know... That miserable people make other people miserable. (laughs) And a year later, he said, what happened to you? We were in the family room. We had moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. He said, what happened to you? Whatever you got, I want some of it. And he got saved. And then my daughter got saved. And my son's saved now. Each one reach one. You know, Paul and I have lived with a very simple philosophy our whole Christian life. Work it at home and then export it. Do not try to export if it's not working at home. And see, when it's not wasn't working at home, that's how we knew to guard the treasure that God had put in us to rein it in because the family is the first nucleus of kingdom living. That's where we get screwed up. I grew up in a screwed up family. Sorry, Pastor Quentin, if I'm using too strong a language. But messed up. You know, people, you know, that hear me teach and think, oh, well, she grew up in cooking country. No, how do you think I found out the truth? Because I grew up in a mess. And I needed a message out of it. I needed some form and fashion and life out of that which was dark and chaotic and scattered. And how many know the compassion of God raises dead things? That's the Jesus I know. The compassion and the mercy of God will take all those parts of your life that by sin done to you and you reacting to it. So that's the sin you've done. And he'll take all those scattered parts and the spirit of the living God begins to hover and to move and to brood over them. And things begin to take form and fashion and order and life and life abundantly. So if I can give anybody hope that you're a bunch of scattered parts today, that God's going to take it and make you whole. So as we find our source of life in the Father... 
See, you will begin to rest because this is the good news. Whoever you make the source, you trust them to be the supply. You don't have to strive. You don't have to burn yourself out. And I'm not saying you don't have to go to work. You hear me? (laughs) Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But you can work. You can rest while you're working. Honey, it has kept Paul and I out of trouble. See, man is not your source. When you're an orphan, the reason why you're torqued out and stressed out, because you're still seeing man as your source. Okay, an orphan can be saved, but still see man as their source. Man is not your source. See, when God the Father created you, he took responsibility for the purpose, the provision, and their empowerment for that purpose. And you will begin to rest. Your true identity, either you will hide your life, that's the truth, in the creator and the father of your life, Or what you'll do is exactly what Adam did, and you'll hide your life in the creation of your own hands. And they're called fig leaves. Fear, insecurity, guilt, lust, arrogance, vindictiveness, stubbornness, error, lust. No demilitarized zone. Either you're going to rest and let your father be your source of who you are and where you're going or you're going to hide your life in the creation of your own hands. And kind of what that would compute, those fig leaves, guess what? I've got to belong the right places. I've got to have the right titles, the right positions, the right bank accounts, the right cars, the right house. You get me? The right friends. I got to have the right friends because those friends have value. And if they like me, then I have value. See, that's the root of all that. Well, what happens if they reject you? Your value goes out the window. And rejection is the seed of rebellion. All right, number four. I want to go back to rest a minute. When the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of the spirit of life, Man became a living being. Okay, Noah, can you help me out? Okay. Sit down. Don't let. So when God created Adam and he got in his face and he breathed on him and he came to life, the first face he saw was a father of love. And see, first is important because the end is in the beginning. And first impressions are important. Thanks, no. I just want to get the point that the first face he saw was love. And that's important because we become like what we behold. You want to know the worth and value of your soul right now? Then look at the objects of your affections. What are you loving? Start with a checkbook. Do you know somebody else paid my way to come to this church? That's how much they believe in the message that God's put in me. They paid for it. They sent me a check. The worth and excellency of your soul can be seen in the object of your affections. Where are you spending your time? Where are you spending your energy? You think your children have worth and value? Then where's your affection towards them? 
even when you correct them. Correction with affection brings direction. Correction without affection brings rejection. And I said earlier, rejection is the seed of rebellion. The other thing he saw, because now this isn't the gospel. You hear me? Did y'all just hear that? This is Carol's take. You know, I wondered a long time, like, why did God wait to the end of the week to create man? Because, you know, God's God and can do anything he wants. But the reason why I believe that he did is because he wanted his son's first experience to be a father at rest on the Sabbath. Because when a father is at rest, his son can receive from him. And everything we need pertaining to life and godliness, believe it or not, we receive from him. You know, our next-door neighbor in Pittsburgh became a millionaire at a very young age. And I think he sold his company and retired in his 40s. And, you know, we led his wife to Christ, but we had really worked on him for years. And one day we were at the beach together, and I forgot what he was talking about. And I I think I was talking about that God had really blessed him. And he looked at me. He he was offended. And he said, I've done well for myself. Indicating to me that God had no part of him being blessed financially. And I looked at him and I said, Bob, who do you think gives you the breath to get off the bed every morning? He said, I never thought about it, Carol. It's God. So if we don't find our identity and our source and our purpose and our provision and our empowerment in the Father, we are going to find it in Isaiah fifty eleven. I don't think anything else describes what happens when you start trying to work out your own salvation. That's what an orphan does. Behold, all you enemies of your own selves who attempt to kindle your own fires and work out your own plans of salvation, who surround and gird yourselves with momentary sparks, darts, and firebrands that you set aflame, walk by the light of your self-made fire and of the sparks that you have kindled for yourself, if you will. But this is what you'll have from my hand. You shall have grief and torment. The man sitting next to me um you know i had to get a couple of planes to get here um from i was telling pastor quentin this <laughs> he grew up uh i think it was from atlanta to portland he grew up in camden and the first thing he said to me was i have you know you know when people say radical bold things to you at first you think did i hear him right <laughs> and he said i have the need for weed And I'm like, oh, Jesus, okay. I said, what did you say? And he said, I need some dope. I need some marijuana. (laughs) And I said, well, how long have you smoked marijuana? And he said, since I was 14 years old, I grew up in the woods out in Camden, Maine, and I smoked weed every day and listened to Grateful Dead. And he had such a fascination with rock bands that he grew up, and he's really in that industry now. I can tell you the characteristic, I don't know what you call it, but I just got it in my spirit right away of his life, was severe 
anxiety. And I think I took him back because it was just like, I mean, you didn't even have to have discernment, really, to, to pick it up. You didn't have to be a rocket scientist. And um, I said, son, would you like me to pray that God would give you peace? And he said, how dare you? And I just waited. And then he turned to me about five more minutes, and he said, you know, I'm pretty freaked out. How did you know that about me? And he said, really, it's generationally. My father had it, and I have it. And I said, well, you know, God would really like to minister to you peace. And he isn't there yet believing that God wants to do that for him. But, see, he's tried to work out his whole life, and he's just living in grief and torment. He just got, you know, he, he told me he literally needs marijuana to make it through one day. Number five, so sons live for the glory of the father. They want to make his name great to the generations, okay? And orphans live for the glory of themselves. I'm going to give you a perfect example of that. You know, the sooner you recognize and get over the fact that your journey, your life is not about you. When you gave your life to Christ, you gave up your life. You no longer live. It's him living in you and through you. And what God is to you, that's what he'll be through you. And there are no skipping grades. Everybody wants an elevator in God. doesn't happen that way. This is a journey. And it's golden. And Jesus Christ is the most winsome being I've ever met. He's the most desired one throughout the ages. And he desires you and me. And see, when we, let me tell you something about desire and passion. It's not on till you respond. My husband can tell me all day long, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. He can show me, he can demonstrate it. But honey, this thing isn't known until I respond and say, oh yeah, buddy, I like it. I think you're great. So see, in Philippians 3.12, this isn't on the PowerPoint, but God laid hold of you. In the King James, it, you, I love it. It uses the word apprehended. So he apprehended you at salvation for a purpose. But there comes a time in your walking journey with God that you've got to turn and say, yes, God, I want to apprehend the purpose in which you apprehended me. I want to be like David. I want to fulfill the will of God in my generation. And if you're doing business with God, you're not only affecting your generation, you're affecting the one before you and the one behind you. And going back to the secret things that God reveals to us out of, you know, out of revelation, that is your inheritance. It tells you in Deuteronomy 29, 29, they're not only your inheritance, your children's inheritance. So when you begin to walk and seeing God reveal himself to you, then guess what? You are building a legacy of God and godliness with God for your People coming behind you, and that's not necessarily just your children. I pray for everybody I teach out of Isaiah that the people will see them. I've taught, 
and say they are them that the Lord has blessed. Because when I teach people, I see them as my offspring. I didn't give birth to you, but I spiritually have influenced their lives. You know that scripture out of Isaiah? It's in Isaiah 61 verse 9. And all who see them in their prosperity will recognize and acknowledge that they are the people whom the Lord has blessed. It's not about you and your four and no more. You've got to catch the bigger vision. You got to say, God, whatever you've put in me, I'll die to self and I'll pay the price so somebody else can be blessed and built up and encouraged and established and strengthened in the faith. Amen. And see, orphans live for the glory of themselves. A perfect example of that is Saul. King Saul. First Samuel fifteen twenty three. For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is idolatry and teraphim. That was household goods, luck images, because you have rejected the word of the Lord and he has rejected you from being king. See, when you start going off and saying, you know, God's not interested in your opinions. It's not about you. It is about what he says. The word of the Lord is what endures forever. That's what's not going to wither and dry up in your children's life, in your life. And see, Saul just thought, well, you know, I really don't have to obey what God says. He started going off. When that happens, you're going to lose your sphere of influence. Because God is not interested in you expanding or propagating what you think. The other reason why Saul lost his fear of influence as king is in 1 Samuel 15, 30. Saul said, see, let me back up and give you some background on that scripture. Samuel had already told Saul, you're out, pal. David's in. You're out. And what was Saul's reaction? Reactors are always losers. I don't mean a loser in life, but trust me, if you don't let God get a hold of your emotions and teach you some things and you just have wrong reactions to everything, you're going to lose every time. Trust me, my pastor taught me that. Not my present pastor, but my last pastor. Reactors are losers. Now, let me tell you what, how this looks. When I first came to Covenant Love, and I've told this story there, I was going up into building A, and a girl comes up to me, and she is screaming and squawking and carrying on and ranting and raving, and she met the right woman. I said, honey, what's wrong? She said, they won't let me teach here. Now, I didn't have a clue what truth she thought and what revelation of God that she thought she carried. But just by her reaction, she's not ready. You got to get down in your foundation. It's not about you. It's not about your name. It's not about your fame. And if you push and shove, you're going to take a lesser seat than what God has for you. That has got to be settled. Who is this about? And that's what I told her that day. 
I said, you're I don't even know you. I don't even know the revelation of God that you think you carry. But your reaction to whoever you just talked to in leadership is out of bounds. And that's got to be healed. Because God doesn't want people vomiting on the body of Christ. And that's what that is. Regurgitating a whole bunch of junk. Okay? There's nothing about that that's this blessing people. So... Saul did the same thing. He said, hey, he's talking to Samuel. I've sinned, yet honor me now. I pray you before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. Baloney, all Saul wanted was to still be honored before men and be seen as an honorable man in front of the leadership. Caused him to lose his sphere of influence. You hear me? No sonship, no influence, and no inheritance. And the minute you lose sight that it's about him and it's about his honor, you will be out of the ball game. You're going to be taking a seat on the bench. Okay? See, the reason why, because honor, I'm not going to teach this out today because I only have so much time. What time is it, by the way? Am I doing good? Okay, honor. (laughs) Thank you. Isn't he precious? Keep going. But let me tell you something about honor because it's foundational. Lord Jesus, I knew nothing about honor. You cannot be, and I'm going to give you some key points. You cannot be an extension of a heart you do not honor. Because God is going to keep giving you structures. For mine, you know how I learned the best about honor? Because, honey, I grew up like hell on wheels. I was taught you live your life on your emotions. And we had a lot to be emotional about. My mom got sick, died when I was eight. I went through other traumatic events. And, honey, I knew how to be, be an emotional roller coaster. Ask Paul. And so... Honor is honoring people for who they are and not stumbling over who they're not. And then you've got to learn to bless people that persecute you. See, God's brought me to the point like David when he got in office as king finally, even though he was anointed and appointed, but now he's possessing it. What is the first thing he did? Who in Saul's house? Can we bless? Jesus, the man tried to chase him down and kill him for years. Who in Saul's house can we remember and bless? And that's where God's going to bring you. Because honor comes from a Greek word. It's T-I-M-A-C-O. I'm flying by the seat of my pants. And it, it means two words, valuable and penalty. I don't care because, see, it starts in the home. You don't honor your parents because they hurt you. See, parents are supposed to be the first agents of blessing. Blessing is imparting who you are by words, actions, and touch. So if you grew up with a parent who 
in any way hurt you, cussed you out, touched you inappropriately. That's what sexual abuse is about. Touching you inappropriately, making you feel like you are worthless. Nobody. That's got to get healed because it is going to affect you walking in every aspect of your life. If your parents were the type that cussed you out, that had, they spoke to the trash all the time, never to the treasure, it's got to get healed. Okay? I'm not here to do that today. We're just having an overview. Y'all get it? But I don't care. I had a man tell me one time after I was teaching, he said, I'll never honor my father. He's in jail. I said, but your father paid a price to be your father. And it will hold you back for the rest of your life. Because that word means valuable and penalty. We honor them for the price that they've paid to be who they are. Now, Pastor Quentin didn't tell me to do this. But see, Paul recognized, sweetheart, you need to get healed. Because every church we would be in, I wanted to be the cave dweller. And be over in the corner, in the dark, having something to say about everything. That's where you're going to stay, is in the dark. And see, that thing's got to get healed. Because, you know what? Pastor Quentin and Jen, they're not perfect. But, honey, they've paid a price to do what they're doing. And so, when you begin to walk in honor, see, what I tell you, God will change. The first thing God changes is your perspective because the only power the enemy has over your life is agreement. So, if you start agreeing with the enemy and looking at everything you don't like about them, honey, you're just going to lose your sphere of influence and inheritance that God had. Because, see, to get your inheritance, you've got to have the access code. It can be, you can have a million dollars on deposit and not know your PIN number to get a withdrawal. And one of the things that, honey, punches the right code in so you can get, is honor. His children, Jen and, uh, you know, they didn't tell me to say this, by the way. But because I'm a school teacher. Their children have paid a price to be their children. We were just at the beach with my old pastor from Pennsylvania, and his son was addicted to hardcore drugs from, what did he tell us, 14 to 19, and he got just totally set free. See, this is how a son and daughter works. It's a total change of perspective. And God's going to, when I leave here, God's going to start asking y'all some questions because God uses questions as a disruptive agent to change your perspective on how you're looking at it. If you come to church and you say, I hate this, I hate that, hate that, guess what? God's not interested. He's looking at you growing up in maturity and who you are to bring unity to the body of Christ. Took me a long time to get this, folks. You know how I know? I walked it all out. (laughs) And like, what can you do to help push up? That's how it works. Help push up. All right? Have I lost anybody? Number six, sons walk by the Spirit. That means resurrection power. Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the Spirit 
of God or sons of God. Orphans, they react. Just what I'm talking about. But let me show you the difference. Okay, people ask me, does that help when they give you an example? People ask me all the time, Carol, how do I know my destiny? You know what I mean when I say destiny? Because that can kind of be a buzzword. How do I know what God wants me to do? How do I know what is that purpose in which he's apprehended me? Number one question I ask them, how have you suffered? Because where you've suffered and you've embraced the cross and that thing died and on the ash heap of your life, he's built the glory on his of his, then you have power to transform somebody else's life through the resurrection of it. So just start looking, you know, really, what have I suffered? And come on the other side of it. Because see, Romans 1, 4 tells us that resurrection authenticates Jesus Christ's sonship. Resurrection power in your life authenticates your sonship. Not positionally. Salvation did that. The blood did that. The mercy of God did that. But if you want to be authentic in being able to use your sphere of influence in the earth, whether you're a mom, a school teacher, a pipe fitter, uh, a lobsterman up here, you know, whatever you do, guess what? You got to be walking in resurrection power of the thing. That is what has power to transform people's lives. God had to break me out of this. Information does not change people's lives. Revelation does. And I know that what I'm telling you has power to bring a divine shift, to bring you up higher in God because it changed my life and it will change yours. You know, I was living in Pittsburgh and I was teaching a citywide Bible study. Any person can recognize the gift. But see, man loves the gift because he's about building a kingdom for himself. And they're like, this woman can teach. Man, we can make her a teaching director. This thing can get bigger and bigger. And, you know, I taught one year. We had like, you know, they're wanting to grow to 500 plus women have, you know, women were on the waiting list. And they wanted to make me a teaching director. And I looked at my group at the end of one year and I the one characteristic I saw, none of them had changed. See, problems don't glorify God. Everybody wants to talk about the pollution, but honey, he wants us to go after the solution. And I was looking for breakthroughs for those women. And I said, God, why aren't they changing? And I was at the toaster one morning making toast. And he spoke this sentence in my heart. And he said, Carol, you'll never change till you behold me in my glory. Because you become like what you behold. You worship what you magnify. That's in those notes up there. Your advance is where your glance is. What you're focusing on, you empower. And so God broke me. He told me, he said, I want you to resign from that teaching job. And the teaching director, you know the price I paid? The people that I was in fellowship with in that ministry and the teaching director thought I had flipped out. She said, what are you going to do? I said, go home. And she said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to get at the feet of Jesus. And I'm not teaching another thing till I start hearing from God. 
Because, see, the voice of God comes with fire. That's why the Israelites didn't want it. Oh, Moses, you go. You get the word and you come back and get us. But when he speaks to you, it's good because he's going to burn up everything that's not the treasure or the gold. And that was the year that I really knew that I was hearing God's voice speak to me was in that season of prayer. And Paul and I were in a very tough season. He had lost his job. They had totally shut the office down in Pittsburgh. It had been a year. Nothing had opened for him. You know, the bills were coming. And I was in prayer one morning. I said to the Lord, you know, God, you know, if you've got a word, you can stand. And I do that to people because they ask me to pray for them all the time. I said, what word are we standing on? Because, see, I'm about decreeing and declaring where you want to go, not where you are right now. So I was in prayer, and God just dropped it in my heart. We were going to move to Wilmington, Delaware. And Paul came home, and I said, honey, God told me this morning we're moving to Wilmington, Delaware. He said, I know that's not going to be happening. They just laid off 4,000 people. (laughs) Well, I must have missed it. Was it two weeks later? Two weeks later, he got three phone calls for a job interview with his company. Because, you know, you can apply within Seaford, Delaware, Jacksonville, Florida, and Wilmington, Delaware. And they said, we want you to come for a job interview. This is no joke. We went to all three interviews. And he said, you better come with me to Jacksonville. And I got out of the parking lot, and there was an alligator in the parking lot (laughs) at at the hotel. And I said, buddy, I don't care how this interview goes. We are not moving down here. I do not do alligators. And then we went around and looked for houses. And (laughs) the realtor said, oh, well, you you see all these small ponds and lagoons in the neighborhood? Do not, when we, the children were small, don't let the children go near them because alligators will eat them. And I said, I'm not feeling it. I'm just not feeling it. (laughs) So we go back home and he goes to Wilmington, Delaware, and that's the job he took. And you know what was so glorious about that job for Paul? You know, I don't know if anybody in here has been in corporate life for us, but the higher-ups don't socialize with you. His boss, he led his boss to Christ. And his boss and his wife came to our Bible study. And every year when he wrote out his bonus check to Paul, he said to my pastor, it's unheard of. But see, that's all in the redemption of God. Put it out there. The other thing I wanted to bring up in number six about orphans' actions not being authentic. No power. They don't have power to transform your life. Trust me. I live like one forever. But see, their origin is in religion. And I want y'all to understand the difference in the truth and religion. You might want to jot this down. This changed my life. I'm going to be like the bank teller theory. You know, they teach you how to handle the real money, and then you recognize the counterfeit. This is the truth. And just use the scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. This is the truth. Jesus came shouting, you belong, you believe, and then you become. He already knows the potential and the treasure he's put in you. He calls and he qualifies. 
totally different than the world. You get qualified and then we'll think about calling you. Okay, this is what religion and this is what orphans will tell you. You ready? I want you to hear the difference. You got to believe, you got to change, and then you belong. Baloney. And if you believe that lie, you will empower the liar in your life. You want me to say those again? All right. This is the truth. Use John 3.16. God loved and gave before you believed. So here's the truth. Belong. He came shouting. You didn't have to do anything to earn this. To work for it, you can't do it. You belong. You believe, and I'll change you, and you'll become what I'm destined you to become. I don't know about y'all, but honey, that was my ticket out of jail. Because see, orphans are on, we got to earn this program. What? Can, give me the job, and let me earn it. This is the truth. That was the truth. Here's the lie. Religion will tell you, you've got to believe change, and then you belong. You know, when we went to see my old pastor, I cooked about at least three main dishes. I barbecued brisket and had barbecued chicken, and, you know, I brought it down to Myrtle Beach where they were staying, and he has five kids, and they had a couple of girlfriends there. There were nine of them, and one of his sons came, and they had been eating, like, skeleton bones, (laughs) you know, like, getting a pizza, whatever. And his son, you know, I learned this from having a boy. Men like to eat. And there were a lot of men there. And he he looked back and he said to me, what did we do to deserve this? I said, nothing. It's like salvation, buddy. I'm going to love and give to you whether you believe or not. That's how I got saved. A woman came into my life and loved and gave to me two years before I even believed. See, that's a meat y'all can take home. Sons live for the Father's heart, the purpose, the will, and see themselves as victorious. This is huge. This is the difference. Orphans see themselves as a victim. I built a whole life around a victim mentality. Now, let me tell you what's wrong with that. If you see yourself as a victim, then there's got to be a villain. So you're living out of the blame game, shame game, guilt, and unforgiveness. Because if you've got a villain, then somebody did something to you that you can't forgive. And your life is like it is because of what happened to you. The enemy really wants you to believe that. Because it's not the truth. The truth is this. Son's life is defined by the cross. Orphan's life is defined by... What they've done or what others have done to them. You hear the difference? That's why Apostle Paul said, I will glory in nothing but the cross. Because, honey, that blood that speaks, it says in Hebrews, that blood has a voice. And let me tell you, everything that was done to you or everything that you've done, that blood has power to break it apart from your identity. And give you a brand new life. Now if you want to live as an orphan. You're going to. Your life is going to be defined. By what you've done. That's your sin. 
or what others have done to you. That's their sin towards you. I lived it in my family my whole life. I can just take one thing. (laughs) My grandmother disinherited my father. Lord, you're talking about some tapes my whole life. What you'll do is you'll build a case against that person. Okay? What I do now that Jack Frost got a hold of me and I wanted to start walking as a daughter and walk in honor, I think of... See, honor is this, honoring people for who they are and not stumbling over who they're not. I wanted to stumble over everything my grandmother was not instead of honor her for who she was because she had a lot of great attributes. But the boundaries you begin to put around your thought life and what you choose and your will, your actions towards other people, guess what? It'll determine the shape of your life. Boundaries determine the shape. You want your shape to change and put different boundaries around what you're putting in your mouth. You know, they say it's 90-some percent what you eat, not all this working out. I'm all about it. Because see what happens, it tells us in Hebrews 12, that that root of bitterness is going to come up and begin to defile each generation. It's going to defile all those around you. That root. You got, you don't like the fruit in your life? Cut the root. Pastor Quentin, I got finished kind of early. I'm not going to try to teach you anymore. It's just so much. Do y'all want me to repeat any? We're going to pray. Do y'all want me to repeat anything that I went over? Because I tried not. I told Pastor Quentin, you know, I taught this course that I wrote in 20 weeks at my church. And so I'm trying to give y'all an overview. You know, it's overwhelming, but you know, God will go overboard to get you on board. How many want to walk in the reality of a son and daughter? Guess what? I'm going to pray in a minute that your inheritance is going to change and your influence is going to change. I'm telling you, I've lived it in my own life. Does that include money? I'm going to tell you absolutely unequivocally, yes, your inheritance. Because when I started to get serious, you know, it says in Matthew that when you bless, when you're persecuted, that's a mark of a child of God, of a son of God. So when I began to bless people that had hurt me, my whole life changed in every way. I began to prosper in a way I didn't ever know prosperity. Okay, Pastor Quentin, come up. I'm going to pray. Let's pray over. I'm ready to pray and bless the people. I know I've kind of finished early, but I'd rather stop. It's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot. All right. Before I pray for y'all, the impartation for y'all for sonship, I want to ask, is there anybody here that's never come through the gate of salvation? I want you to come in today because the Father's waiting for you. We do not become like Jesus doing what he did. We become like Jesus, finding our life source in the same person he did, and that's the Father. It's so good. See, I thought God was up there with a big angry stick, and if I got out of line, he was going to whack me. Because I was on the works program. You got to work for this. You got to earn it. You got to be right. You got to do it right. I didn't understand mercy and grace. So if you're here today, do they come up now or later?
If you want to accept Christ, come up. Don't wait. Don't wait. Come through the gate. Okay. I want to pray an impartation. Remember, impartation is different than teaching. Impartation is when established truth comes in your life. There's a divine shift. How many want a divine shift today? Amen. We all do. I know I do. So raise your hands or put your hands on your heart. Because, see, God imparts to start you on something new. You can't keep doing the same thing you're doing and expect different results. That's insanity. And insanity, if you look, I have Noah Webster's old dictionary. It means alienation. So when you're alienated from your father, you're going to find insane ways to belong, to have worth, to have value, to be loved, to have significance. Okay? So, Lord, I just thank and praise you today that you sent Paul and I here to give an impartation of sonship. Lord, I don't know where everybody is on their journey, but you do, Father. And, Father, you love us. There's a treasure in each one, and they're on their journey, Lord. And so, Father, I'm praying today that there is an impartation, Lord, of sonship that has gone through, that there are some perspectives that are changing, O Lord God. And perspective changed our petition, and they're going to be believing you as Father and seeing things differently about their purpose and their provision and their empowerment, Lord. They're going to sense a greater sense of rest, O Lord God, where they can receive the impossible from you, Father. And so, Father, I just thank and praise you for each one of these people, Lord. You love these people. You love people. That's what you're all about, Lord. And I came because you say, if you love them, go and feed them. Go feed my sheep. And so, Father, I just thank and praise you that what went forth here today will not return void, that you seal all that was of you by the power of your spirit and your blood, Lord, and that anything that was of me would fall to the wayside, Lord, and just shrivel up and and blow away, O Lord God. Father, I pray for a fresh anointing to be released on these sons and daughters of the Most High God. Father, I pray that you, like the great shepherd and our great pastor, Lord, would tend to their hearts. Lord, that you would begin to continue to take this word and work it in them, O oh Lord God. It would be the word made flesh, Lord, and just and being grafted into their hearts that they might be changed from glory to glory, Lord. And Father, I thank you that this isn't going to be something... Even though they're going to continue the journey, I just see quick works happening all over this room, oh Lord God. I just see you blowing on households, dead marriages coming to life, dead finances beginning to leap and jump, Lord. Open doors happening, oh Lord God, for uh, uh, reconciliation between children. I'm just speaking household salvation, oh Lord God, on every home here, Lord, that the blood of Jesus is speaking mercy Lord, that the Spirit of the Father is wooing them and drawing them, O Lord God. Father, I just thank you, O Lord God, that you're being high and lifted up and that your name is drawing all men unto you, O Lord God. And so, Father, I just sense, Lord, that I'm going to be hearing the report, Lord, that things are suddenly, that this church is going to have a season of suddenlies. Oh, Lord God, where new things are going to begin to just suddenly happen, oh, Lord God. Father, where people feel down, all of a sudden they're going to be up, 
oh Lord God, that their disappointments are going to become divine appointments, oh Lord God, with the fatherhood of God, oh Lord God, and they're going to begin to see him move in their lives like they never have before, where they feel like they're at the back of the line, they're going to just feel like they got pushed to the front of the line, oh Lord God, that there's going to be a glory passing before this house, Oh, Lord God, in a new way that the goodness of God is going to just be being released in this house in a greater measure, oh, Lord God. And, Father, we thank you, oh, Lord God, that when people can taste and see that God is good, they'll say yes and amen. Where is his dad y'all been talking about? And you'll just lead them right through the gate, Lord, of Jesus Christ. And I give you all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' name.